Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Up My Hockey, or welcome to Up My Hockey, if this is your first episode with Jason Padolan. I am Jason Padolan, and today's guest is none other than Dusty Emu. Uh, Dusty is currently the goalie coach for the Kunlin Red Star of the KHL, the top league in Russia, and he was previously an NHL developmental coach for goalies with the Winnipeg Jets and the Los Angeles Kings. Dusty has worked with some big-name tenders like Michael Hutchinson, Peter Dubai, Cal Peterson, Connor Hellebuck, and Jack Campbell. And he is also a former teammate of mine. Dusty was a goaltender for the OG Paper in the Japanese Ice Hockey League, where I actually played my last professional games with. So uh, we go way back to 2004, 2005. Dusty's been a good friend and a and uh, and a real big supporter of, of me and the podcast. And and I couldn't help but uh, just be thankful that he was able to talk with us today. It's actually the center second interview I've done with him. The first one was 90 minutes, and the audio just could not be worked out in post production. We had some audio issues, so he was gracious enough to come back and and uh, and interview again. And I'm super thankful. We cover some great topics here today. We talk about mindset. We talk about his philosophy, which is coaching, you know, essentially the, the person versus the player and, and talk about relationship building. We talk about building an identity as a player and how to identify with yourself and, and what's important to you. And uh, we also dive really deep into his relationship with Jack Campbell. Uh, Jack has, has been in the news a lot lately because he got traded to the center of the hockey universe here in Canada, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And... Uh, and he's had a great start there uh, to solve the the goalie, the backup goalie issue that they were having here this year. So uh, Dusty has worked with with Jack from the time he got traded from the Dallas organization into LA, where where he was once a first uh, first round draft pick, had made it all the way down to the East Coast Hockey League as a first round draft pick, and was really struggling to find his game. And him and uh, Dusty became became good friends and and, uh, and a good mentor student relationship, and and they still talk to this day. And Dusty and Jack still work together, even though they're not they're not technically on the same team together. So we get into that journey, Soupy's journey, as uh, as Dusty calls him, and we talk a lot about about Jack and 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 his ascension to where he is now, and 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 how his how his journey will continue. So this is a great episode. I'm really excited to uh, to release it. And without uh, further ado, I, I give you my old friend, my old teammate, and current goalie coach for the Kunlin Red Star, Dusty Emu. All right, Mr. Emu, uh, so happy to see you there on the other end. Welcome, uh, welcome to Up My Hockey. I'm glad to be here, buddy. For the second time. So for all you guys listening, <laughs> we, we did this like, geez probably a month and a half ago or two months ago. And, uh, and anyways, it was my audio that was all screwed up and we were trying to fix it in post-production and Dusty was, was gracious enough to spend like an hour and a half with me. And, and now uh, he said we can do it again. So thanks so much for coming back. Uh, take two is hopefully a new and improved version and we'll have even more insights this time. 
No worries, buddy. I think we, I think I went to bed at 3 a.m. by the time we finished the last time. <laughs> I know, that was nuts. What time is it there for you right now? Uh, just after midnight. Just after midnight. So, um, in the intro, I, I would have talked about this already, but Dusty is now the goalie. What, what would you say your title is uh, officially? Is it the goalie development um, coach? Just, is it? No, just the goalie coach for the Kunlin Red Star and the KHL. Yeah. And then, you know, they originally, the whole original plan was to also help with the Olympic team, uh, the Chinese Olympic goalies and, and the development of that whole thing uh, leading up to 2022. Um, I kind of put that on hold for now. Um, there, you know, it's a, a bit of a confusing time right now. So I'm just kind of focusing more on the goalies here right now, and then we'll see where that goes with the whole Olympic thing. Got you. So for our listeners here, the Kunlin Red Star is a team in the KHL, which is the top Russian league uh, in Russia, but it also has teams in China, which is where you guys are based out of, correct? Yeah, just the one team, yeah. Well, there is only one one team in, in China. Everything yeah. else is in, yeah, that- is in Russia. Uh, I th- there's one in Finland, Jokerit is in Finland, and uh, uh, Minsk has a team, Kazakhstan has a team, jeez, uh, dude, you, you, you have no idea the travel, I, we used to, it's about uh, the, the travel back in the day, man, we got to travel from the west to the east coast, it's four and a half, five hours, all oh, the, the two, three hour time change, you have no idea, man. We're talking 15 hours. You know, we door to door, we're like, oh, it's 24 hours. We did the Finland trip. It was ridiculous. And do you go there for one game? Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. Well, walk us through what that's like. Like, seriously, or even for the players. I mean, as a coach, it's hard enough. But how do these players dealing with the time change like that and, and, and the travel? It's quite remarkable how the, the guys uh, do it. I, I don't know how they do it. This, the last uh, trip, uh, we were just, we've been on, on the road. I'll fill you in later on it, but we've been on the road now for over a month. I haven't, we haven't been back. Well, maybe, I don't know, December 22nd. Right. And uh, uh, we, this last trip, we tried um, staying on Moscow time even though we would jump to different time zones, but we stayed on Moscow time. Like, so that would mean we would eat and practice and wake up and sleep on that time. So like we'd be practicing at eight at night. Eat, wake, it was, it was weird, the weirdest thing ever. My, we were just messed up. I can't imagine playing like that. It just blows my mind. How did that experiment work? Because obviously the game would be in the local time. So wouldn't that be a complete mind screw? Uh, the guys seemed to like it. They, they, uh, they actually wanted it. So, uh, yeah, they were fine with it. I, I, just, I was messed up, but they seemed okay. That's nuts. Well, you know what? I mean, since it is super relevant, I mean, with the corona outbreak, you guys were in, uh, in China is where your home is. And then you were on a road trip. And if I got it correctly... Uh, there was no travel allowed back into China while you're out there. And that was what the extended road trip was all about. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. We, we actually, the day after we left, we got, uh, word, I think a day or so after we left, word that the league had said uh, no teams were entering China. And uh, so we had to, we were on a long, going to be on a long road trip anyways. 
but this has got extended and they moved another game to a different site and, and now we're we're not going back so like in finishing this as of right now yeah we're for the whole season so we the seasons uh we only have one more game and then this the, the regular season's done and then uh uh playoffs start i don't we don't know yet if we're going to make it or not but uh regardless if we if we do make it for example if we play avangard we're going to play all seven games in avangard change change the logo for our home games and that's it and then if we win again then we play dynamo or whoever and we play all seven there so we're yeah we're not going back to china wow you know what what an epic story that would be i would love a championship run out of that (laughs) environment that would be one for the ages wouldn't it uh yeah it's you know what this whole last part of the season's been been tough on the guys it's been a real challenge uh we we've dealt with a, a lot with this year uh in the travel and and uh it's a little bit different being from beijing because we're the only team that has to do that constantly and we never played one team all year more than one time like we never played back to back like all the teams that would come to china would play us Saturday, Sunday, gotcha. but we, we've gone every trip and done one game, one game, one game, one game everywhere all year. And uh, it's been tough on the guys. And then, <laughs> then to cap it off with all the challenges, they, this whole virus thing hit us at the end and it just guys stuff are, are still in their uh, apartments and they're not allowed back. And, and uh, I've got suitcases at the hotel and I'm not getting it. <laughs> Yeah, that's unbelievable. I know that your family's at home right now, so at least you're not missing your yeah. family. But I'm sure a lot of these guys must have must have their their families there waiting for them, or or most of the guys no, not living with their no. families. No, they were there, but the day after, like I said, we found out the the GM uh, sent a message out and to the families that uh, um, actually the day of we were leaving that we they were allowed to to travel with us, and then others came and met us on the road and they traveled with us and then they would kind of venture off back home. You know what I mean? But to get, to get them out of there, um, we were, they weren't taking any chances and, and uh, you know, a lot of people seem to think that, Oh, it's not that bad. It's no get a handle on it. And it's quite the opposite. Yeah. That's sad. How is that from a team perspective? You mentioned that it's hard on the guys. Obviously it's physically hard. It's also mentally hard from a, from a guy doing what you do it's added a different layer i'm sure to to the context of a traditional season how are you helping your goalie specifically through that well it was a, a big challenge you know to to try to keep them on the tracks that was that's kind of my my forte and uh to keep guys on the tracks and focused and and mentally positive and whatnot and with all these different obstacles coming up like dude there's so many during the season it's it's incredible but it's been a a real good learning uh, challenge for me uh, to try to to be that kind of still that same coach and and jump these hurdles for these guys and 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 move them if you will for them Mm -hmm. so they can just play hockey but uh, you know you'd have to ask them but I think uh, I think I've done an okay job right can you walk us through, like, is, is it, I, I know you're very relationship based on what you do. Uh, I, I know mm-hmm. you, you talk about building relationships with guys. I've, I've heard you on other interviews and the one with ourselves. 
how how does that how does that layer of a, of a personal relationship be able to, you, to help them through something like a season like this, which is kind of a nightmare by by a lot of accounts? Well, you know, I guess I'll backtrack. You know, and we'll talk again about what we talked about before. Um, if you haven't heard about how I coach, um, I. I'm largely based around my relationships with the guys and and that connection. And, you know, I know the game. I, I feel I'm a good coach and I, I know, know the position and I, I know how to teach today's game. But I base everything around my connection with the guys. And uh, to, to, to delve into this type of a season, it, it uh, it, it helped being the way I am because there's so many things that were happening. If I was just that technical kind of guy and just, you know, hard nose, you know, get on the ice and work on your, on your stuff. Um, I think we, we really could have went south and um, we seem to, to stay above water through the whole thing. And, and, and both goalies have unbelievable attitudes. So um you know, we just, we would joke about it all the time and we would say, uh, we'd be like the goalie bubble. <laughs> we just stay in the goalie union bubble and just try to bounce everything off of the bubble because it, uh, there was a lot of crap going on. Sure. Perspective must be, a, must be a big piece of that, correct? Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of it could be considered negative. A lot of it could be considered you know at the end of the day throw your hands up in the air but if you can put a spin on it that that makes it as a learning opportunity or something positive um sometimes that that is a big difference maker is it not so is that one of the things you're trying to do is to keep these guys either neutral or, or positive in a what would many would consider a negative environment yeah well 100 percent. you know that i don't uh i don't blow smoke you know when when, when crap's bad it's bad you know what i mean like we joke, but I try to make light of it. I try to joke around about it. And we, we, even if we do complain, we complain together uh, it, and not like uh, bitching, if you will, but just yeah. we, we bounce stuff off each other and, you know, you get things off your chest and, and uh, I don't try to sugarcoat everything and, and turn it into make believe because then it's not real. And then, you know, guys can read and read that. And, mm -hmm if they know that you're sincere in whatever you're talking about, like when it comes to the coaching part, it just makes it so much easier. Sure. Yeah. I've, uh, I read the book of, of the guy that works with Russell Wilson on, on some of the stuff that you're talking about, kind of his mental conditioning coach, if you will. And uh, he talks about neutral thinking as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, positive or negative thinking. And, and it seems to be echoing what you're saying there because there is a reality to whatever your situation is. And, and the reality might not be a good one, but if, if you can apply that perspective from, okay, this is what we got, but now what are we going to do with it? Because we need to still be able to perform and we, we need to be able to operate at a certain level. Uh, mm -hmm. That's kind of a different way of thinking as opposed to the fluff of some people with positive, 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 right? At some point, you just got to be, you got to own yeah. the scenario you're in, right? And then do what you can with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, everybody knows I, I, I'm a positive person and that's how I coach and but they also know that I'm I try to stay true and real so when 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 stuff is bad like I if you if you don't be honest with them they'll eventually tune you out because they're just oh, here he goes again kind of thing and you know you've had you've had coaches like that 
and it's just like the same you know they regurgitate the same stuff over and over and then after a while you're in the dressing room and like it or not you tune you tune them out yeah 100%. and so yeah i try not to be like that and uh you know i can, i use a great example i just uh finished uh texting with soupy in toronto and i just wanted to let him know you know there's there's tweeting out there right now about um uh you know, Anderson has lost a few games and Suki's on a roll and you know, who plays the next game, blah, 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 right? And I just shot him a little text and, you know, we, we communicate a lot still and and he likes it when I talk to him and keep him on the tracks, if you will. He just likes that little bit of, you know, um, it makes him, it feels good, right? And so I just shot him a text and I said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I built that bubble around you before and it's still there and just, you know, stay on, on the tracks and do what you do, have fun and just play the game. When you, when you get in the net, don't worry about all the stuff that's going on around you because you know, you can't control it. And, and uh, he just texted me back like just before I got on this the podcast and it just made him feel good enough to just kind of keep him centered, you know? Sure. No, that's great. Yeah. We, we should touch on that. And I, uh, you know, maybe even backtrack. So we'll backtrack. So you and I uh, played together in Japan. And so a little backstory there. I was actually done in Germany for everyone listening. And I decided I was going to go back to university. And when I was in university as a 30-year-old going to university with 19-year-old uh, kids running around, that experience is a whole nother topic. But my phone kept ringing. It was such an interesting scenario with these leagues and places that one I had never even considered before. And, and sometimes I didn't even know that it existed. And and one of the offers that came up was from OG Paper uh, in Tomakamai, uh, Japan. And I was always enthralled with Japanese culture. I'd always loved the food. It, it, the history really interested me. And the money was super good. And it was just all signs pointed, you know what, write these finals from the first semester and get the heck out of there. So that's what I decided to do. Uh, Japan pulled me out of uh, this, this retirement, my hockey retirement, and I ended up on a team with Dusty. Uh, so Dusty and I have a connection from that season. Uh, apparently at the time, they weren't necessarily happy with their one import. Uh, they were only allowed one import in that league at the time. And, uh, and I stepped in to fill that void and ended up playing two and a half months with Dusty and experienced like full-on experienced Japanese culture. Tamakamai is, is on the Northern Island there of Hokkaido. And, and it was a very, very, I don't know what the right word is. It was almost like a lost in translation experience for me. Uh, <laughs> be, being 6'2 with no hair and bald and walking down the street there in white. Like it was, the, I, I was stopping traffic, like walking to the rink. It was, it was super super interesting not much english at all even within the team there wasn't much english uh but dusty was one of the guys that was a japanese canadian descent and uh and qualified as a i guess a regular player if you will um correct like you didn't it wasn't kind, just, uh, kind of yeah <laughs> and uh and so there's a few guys like there aaron keller was one of them rob Mew, i was another one bert henderson was another one that that did speak english and guys that i could talk to but that it was like full-on japanese pretty much all the time and uh, really, really enjoyed my time there. But that's how Dusty and I are connected. And, and we should talk about that a little bit, Dusty, because you being there uh, for quite some time, taking mm -hmm. your career there and then being involved in the Olympics. I'd love to touch upon that again, if you wouldn't mind just walking us through how that how that process took you to the uh, to the Bay, not the Beijing, was it the Beijing Olympics? 
No, it was uh, uh, no Nagano. Nagano, the Nagano Olympics, right? Yeah, I played yeah, in '98. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that a little bit because that was such a cool story. Well, well, I was in North America, uh, and I I had gotten married my first year pro, had kids. Uh, I was 23, and I already had uh, one adopted and two others, so I had three kids, and uh, it looked like. I was going to have to pack it in because uh, I wasn't able to support the family, you know, on, on the salary back in those days in the minors was not great for me. And uh, I got a call from uh, Dave King and uh, he asked if uh, I'd be willing to go to the Japan league, uh, play there and, and try to obtain my, uh, my citizenship so I could play in 98. And that would have been like 94 or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, <laughs> Japan. I said, I don't know, man. And then he, he told me how much. And I was like, I'm there. Right. <laughs> I, I didn't even really see anything but that. I just needed to try to support the family. And, uh, and uh, then Willie Desjardins called me and he was going to be the coach. So like Dave was hired by the federation or olympic committee there in japan that uh just kind of spearhead the the movement to try to build the beep they were a b pool team into an april team because they were going to get a, a a team in the olympics because they were the host right? right and they didn't want to they wanted to save face and have a good showing so they hired at the time dave was Miss hockey canada right so yeah, I was going to say, him. maybe we should touch on him just a little bit. Even to get a, rec a call from, from Dave King at that point, you know, he was a mm -hmm. very, very big figure. Still is a big name in the sport, but yeah. he was essentially. But back then, yeah. yeah. He was the president of he Hockey Canada, I think he was, right? He was it. And yeah. uh, so they they spared no expense and got the best, what they thought would be the best. And, and Dave's idea was find as many Japanese Canadians as you can, get them over into that league and see how many you can get their citizenships. And uh, so then he also said he got three coaches or so, uh, Willie Desjardins, Billy Moores. Uh, there's one other one and I forget. But so he brought some Canadian coaches over and uh, Willie coached on Cebu. And uh, Willie called me and said, uh, that's where I'd be going to that team. And uh, we had other Japanese Canadians, Matt Kabiyama, um, a Japanese American, Dan Daikawa, Ryan Fujita. And um, and then uh, one other import, uh, Chris Bright. And then we had different uh, a second import every year. It seemed to switch. We had Tom Curvers the first year, and then uh, Tom Peterson the next, and then just kind of went on. But uh, that was all Dave King. And then um, six of us ended up getting our citizenships. Uh, and there were, I think there were twelve guys that ended up playing, but. Uh, in the league, but only six got the citizenships, and we played in in Nagano. That's kind of where I saw it ending, but my the money got better actually as it went along, and uh, and uh, I thought I would always go back and maybe re revitalize my career back home. But when you have, then we had another kid, so I had four kids, and I was like, I just got to stay and support the family because I was making really good money and I ended up playing 12 years there. Yeah, that's wild. Um, mm -hmm. I want to touch on the Olympics because you had a really great story there, but for the, for the people listening and, and, and for some of the kids maybe even listening, like the, as far as like having a career outside of Canada, it wasn't something that I 
you know, thought about, you know, dreamed about, let's say it wasn't something that was really on my radar growing up. It was NHL kind of right. bust. And I understood the scenario here, but there is, there's one money to be made and there's good hockey other places. And uh, I just want to, touch on the money because that's something that usually guys shy away from I know all the NHL salaries are public but you know it doesn't get talked about too much and I'll just say my experience if you want to share yours in Japan feel free but when I was in Mannheim when I went over there they they paid me originally 90,000 euros to play in Mannheim on a one-year contract when I left at 26 I think I left North America and that was as a relatively high profile score you know in the American Hockey League and a guy who played some NHL games at which at the time, that translated into about 130,000, 140,000 Canadian take home. And that was with no taxes, which is usually the case for people who are playing overseas. You don't, that, that money is, is, has been taxed already, so it's all take home. They're also paying for your car in a lot of sta- uh, situations. They're also paying for your, uh, your accommodation in a lot of scenarios. So I essentially had no bills and was making this money. And then plus there was bonuses and playoff bonuses and stuff. And then my, my second contract moved up to 110. So... For me, it was a hard decision because like you said, you were thinking of maybe going back home to do your career, Mm -hmm. but I was almost making small one-way NHL money. I essentially was with the exchange rate. You know, when you considered all the bills and everything else, plus you're playing half the games, the workload is way less, the travel's way less. Like there's all these scenarios, lifestyle scenarios that are also incorporated in it. So that's good money, right? Like, I mean, for a 26 year old guy, 27 year old guy, I mean, you can't make that a lot of places. You have to go to school for a long time to make that kind of money, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think for guys just out there to listen, there is a lot of opportunities out there. And I don't know what you were making in Japan, but again, when I went to Japan for that two months, I was like, they gave me 50,000 us for two months tax free, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, that's awesome. I'm going to go do this, right. Kind of an experience that I'll never get anywhere else and be a part of that culture. But uh, I just think it's good because guys don't know that necessarily, right? And it's not always just NHL right. or American League or bus, but there is places to play uh, if you want to find a way to play. Yeah, well, for sure. And you know what? Like, it it really changed my whole life. Like, the money obviously changed my life. But one thing that changed as well is my whole way of thinking about the, the game of hockey. I remember when I was um, going up through junior and I was ranked, highly and in the in the draft and and the pressures and by the time I hit pro like I it was not at all about the game it was about what I was going to get where I was going to get to and what I was going to achieve and how much I was going to get and and then the failures that would happen you would take them really harshly and uh, once I got to Japan the money got really good and uh, and I had a family and and then I had these group of guys uh the nine years in Cebu and then the three years in Oji that it was just about the game and playing hockey and winning and having fun and and uh I just found a whole new love for the game but I did learn this on my own and it, it, it I was fortunate enough that it happened um and now I tried in my coaching I really try to build that early for these young kids and uh soupy is probably my my best example he was that exact guy that was just toiling uh in his own head and and very down on his life and himself for not achieving um and uh i used those experiences of mine to to help um uh, if you will get back on the tracks and, and find love for himself in the game. Right. 
Well, that's maybe a good segue. I mean, I, I did want to touch on Japan, but I wanted to keep this thing under 60 minutes, I promise you. So mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that experience there with the Olympics and your, you know, your story there playing in front of those sold out crowds is, is really awesome. But, you know, what, what is relevant now to what you're doing is now you've gotten into this goaltending coach scenario and you're the developmental mm -hmm. coach for, for Winnipeg. Uh, I think mm -hmm. you worked with Hutchinson there and Hellebuck, uh, correct, yeah. were some of your some of your guys that you worked with. And then you moved mm -hmm. on to L.A. Uh, and right. one of your guys there was was Jack Campbell. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm not 100 percent sure on his history, but I believe he was like 14th overall or, or first rounder at least, wasn't he? So like 10th. Yeah. Something high. And, in, and yeah. in goalie language for a draft, that's crazy high. <laughs> Um, yeah. for, for a team to commit that pick on a player. So obviously very, very highly touted, an amazing prospect. And, and you started working with him when he wasn't a king yet, right? He was, he was in, in the minors, correct? Yeah, yeah. We, he had uh, been a failure, if you will, in the eyes of the public in Dallas mm -hmm. and went, went right down to the East Coast League. And um, we picked up Jack Campbell on, on a trade. Um, and his value was really low and, and uh, but we saw something in him, uh, in his abilities, the raw abilities and felt that if I could, if he could get with me and uh, that there's a possibility that we could turn him around. And if you could, the, the raw talent he had, maybe you could find something. Uh, and for, for the, the amount it was going to cost to do the appeal, it, we, we gave it a, a shot. And uh, that's kind of where it started with Jack and I, and we met in Vancouver and uh, just built the relationship in the summer before camp. And uh, the rest kind of, I don't want to say it's history, but it's still ongoing for him, yeah, for sure. Sure, yeah, that, that, that that path or that journey, whatever you call it. I'm, I'm sure he's hoping that it's kind of just beginning now. Cause exactly. Yeah. It. Uh, but isn't that interesting? So maybe you can, uh, you can walk us through that process and how you interpret it through his eyes, because to be 10th overall or 14th overall, obviously a massive amount of success, you know, as an amateur athlete, uh, I, I remember him playing for uh, the world junior team for the U S correct. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. And, and seeing him there perform, He's recognized by the NHL as being potentially a game changer uh, as a starting yeah. goaltender. And in not so many years, he finds himself in the East Coast Hockey League and almost as a castaway. What, right. how, how did that demise happen so fast in your eyes? And, and how was Jack's uh, psycho psychological sort of reaction with, with all of that? Mm -hmm. Well, if, if you know Jack, he, he's a really personable guy and emotional. And, like... He, everything comes from right here. And uh, he's one of the nicest, uh, truest guys I've ever met. And, uh, but one of the things he, he did at a very young age is he set these goals and standards for himself so high. Uh, and then coupled with the fact that he was drafted, he was supposed to be it. So that was what he thought he should be. And so he thought he was going to be in Dallas at 19, 20 years old. And uh, when that didn't happen and things didn't happen perfectly, he took, takes things very, he took things very, very hard. And then it just started, you know, kind of coupled on top of each other and snowballed. And then 
it to he took he takes his took his failures uh um in it in his just the hockey game as part of his life and himself as a person and he actually literally didn't even like himself and he he was not in a good way and and he admitted it and and he opened up to me about it so when once i i got the kind of the idea of where he was in his head and the, the real person he was i kind of knew where i needed to take it sure so you you said high standards high goals and i wrote that down because sometimes that's a good thing you know mm -hmm. standards and goals is a good thing to to build yeah, yeah. you know the foundation around but it can be crippling i guess too especially if maybe you're not meeting uh what it is that you had set up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you feel it was a performance related thing? Like that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't where he wanted to be because he wasn't playing well enough or was he just not ready? And then, and then how did the, how did the mindset get involved in that? Because of course it had to get involved in some way, which was affecting this natural raw ability that he had all along. Right. Well, we all have, even the best players, we all have games where we're not good and we're off and whatnot. As a goalie, sometimes though, if you have an off night, it it can get really magnified. <laughs> if there's nowhere to hide, like you can't hide anywhere in the net uh, when you let in the goals. It's just that's how it is. And when when things go bad, now you got to that situation that day where you where you suck. If you don't deal with it well, it can really turn into something bigger. And then you do start to not play well. And then you next one, you're more tense and you're nervous and you let in a couple right off the hop. And now it's two games and three games. And now, right, and all it takes is a couple of those. And then the media is on you and then the coaches are on you. And it can really snowball fast. And if you're a young kid that doesn't know how to handle that, it can get ugly pretty quick. Mm -hmm. But there's other guys that it happens to and they brush it off a lot easier. And you don't notice it as much because they've kind of they've kind of bounced off it and just kept going. But it happens to everybody. It's just on how you deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. And Jack at that time didn't deal with it very well. Right. Yeah, I agree. I've talked about that before. Like I think some guys, if you want to use the word mental toughness, I know that gets thrown around there a bit. Uh, so some guys have an aptitude towards that and, and whether it is not, whether it is being tough or whether it is an ability of resiliency and not letting stuff necessarily affect you, it seems like there is a bit of a, a curve there, right? Like some guys are more apt to be able to do it than others, but I don't think that right. it's something and I think you're, you and Supi have proved it together is that it's not, not something that can't be learned and it's not something that can't be mentored or, or taught. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? I, I totally think that it can be taught and, or, or I don't even want to say it like I'm a teacher, I'm teaching it, but you can definitely nurture someone and help them along through these times and, and change their mindset. Right. You totally can. I, I did it with Sue. Sue right. did it. I didn't do it, but I, I kind of guided him. And I did the same thing with, in a different scenario with Peter Budai. Um, just before Supi, um, we brought him to, to LA and he went to Ontario in the minors. And prior to that, um, he had come to Winnipeg. And I, when I was in Winnipeg and he was down in St. John's and, and went a year with Heli and never won a game. 
Wow. And uh, he was just prior to that, he was the eight year full on NHL backup, never in the minors. And he got traded and never won a game. But what people didn't see was right off the bat when Boods got traded, he was sour that he got traded. Then he gets to Winnipeg and they sent him straight to the American League. So now he's really sour and he never recovered from it. We talked about it throughout uh, that year, but I could just tell like he couldn't let it go because he was this NHL guy and he was playing in the American League. Now he's not winning. And uh, then he called me in the summer and he said, my agent says there's a chance for me to to come to camp in LA. And I just signed with LA. And I, he says, what do you think? And I said, I totally think you can do it, man. I, I said, and I would back you. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the, tell them to, yeah, bring him to camp. I said, but you, you got to promise me one thing. If we do this, I said, when you come, you got to let go of everything. I said, you're not the Peter Buddha that would be your NHL vet anymore. You're just a guy coming into camp and you're going to try to earn your spot. It's almost like you're starting fresh and just revitalize like you're going to earn a spot and show everybody who you are again. And he said, all right, let's do it. And uh, he won goalie of the year that year. Yeah, that's why. In the American League. And then next, the next year, he played 60 games, I think. And he was like first in shutouts and in the, NH, in the NHL when Chris Quickie was hurt. And, right. And uh, yeah, he returned. And that was at the end of his career. But the whole reason why I tell that story is it was the same, it was a similar situation that he, there was this this heavy baggage or, or negative stuff that was just weighing his game down in his life and his, just his mindset. And if you have a coach that can, can, uh, first of all, you got to be able to see these things. It's not rocket science, but you got to be open to, to listening and, and hearing what people are saying and not just, you know, shooting out all the stuff out of your mouth to coach if you can see these things, you can spot them and then you can to help these guys through this stuff. And then it looks like you're some great coach, but really you're just helping them, you know, fight through the stuff. You're listening, right? That's a, yeah. that's a very, very big component that, that is lost sometimes. Mm -hmm. Two things that I saw a parallel with there as you were speaking uh, was both of them kind of had identity issues. It sounded like, you know, like Peter yeah. identified as being something and because he wasn't that something, it became, it manifested into poorer performance and, and not being able to, to come through. And then Soupy sounded like same thing. He had this idea of who he was supposed to be. And when he wasn't doing that, now all of a sudden he, he's losing a connection with who he is as a person almost. Mm -hmm. So with, with that identity struggle, uh, which I went through myself too. I don't know if you did, you know, you feel that you're someplace and you're performing someplace else, or maybe you're not. And now it's like, who am I? Right. And when you start mm -hmm. these, the, the person and the player start colliding, or maybe you, you think that the player is the person, if that even makes sense, you know, and the person right. doesn't exist outside the player. Uh, it can be confusing sometimes for athletes when that is all you've known and that's all you want to be. How do we, how do we build an identity in an athlete that makes them, you know, resilient and strong and confident, yet still be able to go home at the end of the day and know, you know what, I'm okay, whether it was a shutout or whether it was five goals yeah. against, you know? Well, you know, it, it's a tough thing to do on your own if you don't really have the, the knowledge. 
uh, some people, like I, I didn't have anyone to guide me through that. And I just happened to work through it uh, once I got to Japan. Uh, but my family helped me through that. Have, having a family, it put perspective on the table. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it really changed my view uh, of life in general and, and kind of what my role was. Uh, but sometimes when you're a young guy and you don't have family, like guys don't have family. Like I, I started kids when I was 21, right? So uh, it's not like that anymore. And, and these guys, ha and I don't mean to not, these guys are specimens and athletes, like nobody's business, like way better athletes than when we, we played. But they also have everything kind of laid out for them. They have the trainers, they, right from a young age, everything is laid out for them. And then they have troubles when, when stuff goes sideways to deal with things by themselves. Uh, and so you have people like me come in and help out. But if, if, if parents, um, I don't like parents jumping in and controlling their kids. I, I really believe in letting them play. But sometimes a little guidance on just say, hey, you know, and not like, you know, you got to play harder, you got to work harder, you got to do this or that. But just sometimes just... Uh, ease the weight and the load from them and just say hey man <laughs> it's just a hockey game you know just play because you love the game and I love you regardless as long as you have fun and play hard and it just takes the weight off and the pressure off these things it's you can guide them as a parent that way mm -hmm. because you know you can't hire someone like me you know for a, a 10 12 year old but you can do that as a parent and that should be the main role as a parent. Uh, you know, I guess we're kind of trailing off, but it does have some correlation uh, as to what I do for a living. You can do that as a parent. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm decent at what I do because I had so many bloody kids. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think, I think that is a, a, an interesting topic. And it's something that, I mean, I've created a Facebook group, a private, private Facebook group for parents, like you said, of, you know, athletes. Some of them have kids that are eight to 10. And essentially what I'm doing there is mentoring that aspect of what you're talking about, right? Like how do you help your kids through mm -hmm. adversity? How do you help them gain some resiliency? You know, how do you help them start aligning their, their habits and crafts and commitment with where they want to get to? You mean all this kind of fun stuff that, that really helps establish a baseline by using the game, something they love, you know, for, to teach mm -hmm. these life skills, you know, because there's a lot of scenarios as you've already pointed out where, there's just, there's, there's no adversity for kids right now you're right. growing up. Right. And then they, now they experience yeah. it and they have no idea what to do with it. And parents get, get involved a lot of the time wanting an explanation of why they, their kid is having to experience the adversity. Um, yeah. And that's tough too. I mean, that's one thing that I say a lot is like, allow them some room to try and deal with this and support them through that. Don't try and fix it and bandaid it and, you know, saying mm. that they shouldn't have missed that shift or whatever the case may be, right? Or didn't get that start as a goalie, right? Like, how do we deal with that? Because that's going to happen, right. you know? Oh, oh, for sure. Well, it was, well, well you know, um, I had one of my sons was a goalie and, and uh, I, I really tried that through that whole parenting all the way from when Jonah was just little on, on up till he was with me in the American League in the LA organization that I tried to be the same throughout and it was kind of weird because I actually translated that over 
once I started uh, coaching in the NHL and, and the development role that I kind of did the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I really didn't change. I remember when I first went to Winnipeg, I said, uh, win, lose, or draw, I'm just going to be me. And uh, took took some heat for it because I'm a little bit unorthodox. Uh, some people might call me aloof. I, uh, but I, it was who I was and it, it seemed to develop results and because I was true to myself and I stayed with who I was and I, as when I coached even with and parented with Jonah and then continued on and it was kind of odd that Jonah ended up with me uh, there for a little bit and uh, I just was kind of doing the same thing. It was kind of weird. <laughs> Well, no, I, I think you touch on something there, and it's and it, and it's something that's gained some some momentum, and that is the aspect of coaching the person first, and the player second, because mm -hmm. back I think when we were playing, well, I don't think I know it was all about you know one the result and two the asset being the athlete, right? Yeah. Like there was no ounce of humanism really involved in anything that was going on there. It was about winning games, and it was about what piece of the puzzle you filled in. Uh, yeah. But but when you start handling the person, right, the, the 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 living, loving, thinking, emotional being that that hockey player is, boy, mm -hmm. you can end up getting results, right? But when you put the results first, sometimes the person gets lost. When the person gets lost, you've lost you've lost the player. I think, uh, and yeah. it sounds like you've kind of put that on his head. And in the NHL environment, that would still raise some eyebrows, right? When you say, I mean, it's win, lose, or draw, oh, yeah. doing the same thing. Well, that's not what people want to hear sometimes, right? But yeah. I, am, am I getting your philosophy a little bit there as like handling, handling yeah. a person? Yeah, you know, it's it's no secret. I, I don't uh, display it to everybody about how how things were when I was in the, in the NHL. Um, but the the general census or the, the way coaches are, goalie coaches, coaches in general, there's a huge amount of pressure of kind of, Tolling the line and doing things a certain way and and uh, and results based. It's it, it still is like that, and uh, but I found that I, I I just had a real good success by doing things the way I did, and I thought and my my wife was a you know a huge supporter and saying you know Dusty, you know I think you should just do what you do and 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 you know, you'll be able to come home and sleep at night, you know, even if they don't necessarily like it because uh, the goalies liked it and the goalies were getting unreal results. You know, you know, when I had Hutch, he, he, he just shot up and then Helly and then Boogs and, and Campbell and then Peterson and, and uh, uh, it just seemed to work. And, and they were all different people. You know, that was kind of me because I just would listen to each, every individual for who they were. But it kind of, you know, uh, if if I wasn't writing stats and, and on my computer all the time, you know, sometimes it didn't look uh, quite NHL. And, uh, <laughs> but I just kind of did my thing. And um, and the, the, the guys and, uh, were the most important part for me and, and what, I could do to help them. So I just did what I did. Gotcha. No, I agree. I mean, and I, and I'm coaching the guys I'm working with the exact same way. And I think that is 
something that is missed a little bit. And when guys feel like they have somebody that's there for them first, uh, the mm-hmm. results come, right? That's the thing. It's just, it's not that we're not worried about results. Obviously you're worried about results. That's what you do. You're in a business where you need to get wins, where you need, where you need to have success. But if that's right. not the forefront of the focus for the day, you know, and we're kind of putting that backwards and then we're going to get the results. Uh, I think that's just kind of where at least I view the philosophy and that's where uh, Travis Green touched on that at the NHL coaches conference last spring when I was listening to him, it was a really awesome awesome speech I thought he gave but he just said that the, when he's made his most mistakes he was super super open and vulnerable about it he said is when he's put the result first like winning first like yeah. he he would then sacrifice the person and he said that he's really you know making a bad deal in that scenario because that's going to hurt him down yeah. the road when he bets in the person first the results are going to come and he has the belief and the trust and all these other great things that come with with putting that person first and I thought that was a a really forward thinking thing for him to say in front of all his peers. And I think that's the way the, the game's going. Ballsy. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's ballsy because uh, I, uh, it isn't the norm. And uh, I, but I honest, I totally believe that, you know, it, they still say, you know, well, the head coach still has to have that you know, line assistance, maybe a little bit, but, and then goalie coaches, what, you know, whatever. But uh, I believe everybody can take an ounce of this and, and start to do what, you know, Greener's saying and, and kind of the way I do things because, you know, you, you can still be detailed and you can still know the game and coach the game and be, you know, you know hard-nosed at times. But if, if, if you really are about them first, um, they'll follow, man. Like, They'll go to the wall for you. They'll do anything for you. No, oh, that's awesome. Let's get back to to uh, to Soupy. Uh, Jack is. I mean, you obviously call him Soupy. Some people under know his nickname, but Jack Campbell. Because uh, mm-hmm. let's pick that up with him in the minors. So you I mean because he's a big story right now, especially in Canada up here, yeah, because yeah. everyone in the world follows the Maple Leafs, and now he's 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 yeah. been the the solution to this backup goalie problem that they've had uh, what they've been seemingly pointing fingers at all season. And so he's mm-hmm. now, so he's in, he's in the East coast league, this first rounder, you end up get, getting, getting in touch with him. You guys meet in Vancouver. What, mm-hmm. where, where's the first step of this and how does his, you know, how does his journey bring him back to the NHL now in Toronto? Like let's, let's break that down a little bit. Well, in Vancouver, like I said, we, we, uh, I had him there for a week and we just, said we would skate together and and work out and do some things. But I said, this is really just about you and I getting to hang out. And, uh, and uh, I just made sure I, I let him de- you know, de- uh, decompress, if you will, and, and relax around me because he's pretty, pretty high, high strung. Uh, he's a high energy guy. And, and uh, when he started to feel my vibe, he, he he came down to my level, if you will, and started to open up and figured him out like I told you and what was going on in his head. And I just told him, you know, I, I said this in interviews that uh, I asked him, you know, you know, he, oh, sorry, let me backtrack. He told me this the last summer, just before he came, he was skating with Heli and uh he had no idea who he was anymore. He said, I don't know how to play anymore. I don't know what they, people are telling me to play this style, that style. So I just started playing like Heli. And we got on the ice and I was looking at him and I, and I had Heli. Right. And if you know how Heli plays, if you know goaltending at all, like it is not uh, like Jack Campbell used to play. Like 
polar opposite. Right. And I said, uh, so I was watching him. I said, uh, do you think that works? And he's like, I don't know, man. I just try. Hell, he had a great year last year. And I said, dude, what, what, when you're playing your best in junior and, you know, the, the world championships or, or sorry, the, the world junior championships, uh, how did you play? What was your identity? You know, and he goes, oh, I was athletic and I just, you know, make a big, you know, glove saves, diving around, big saves and, you know, athletic. And I said, well, let's, let's start there then. And I said, cause I can relate to that. Cause that's totally how I was. I said, I love guys like that. I said, let's start there and, and just build around that. And I said, I'm not usually one to mold guys or make them into my guy or anything like that. I let, you know, I had, like I said, I had Helly and Hutch and all these guys are all different. And I let them play how they want to play. But he was like, anything, whatever you want, man. So it was perfect. It was great. And we, we just uh, built around him and finding himself again and just loosening up and just, I said, let's just get back to that making big saves and be athletic and use your skating ability and your, your abilities and just have some fun with it. And then he wanted some guidance as far as, um, you know, maybe someone to look at or whatever. And I said, well, my favorite goalie right at the time and still is, is uh, Tuca. He's a, he's a little bit of everything. He's very composed, but he's super athletic and he knows I catch pucks and uh, I, I, I thought that'd be a good base. And that was the one guy maybe we would revert back to and, and I'd, I'd send him a, a save of two can be, Oh, that's awesome. And just kind of built him, uh, rebuilt him up that way and uh, got, got in, did it that through when we were in Ontario and he made the all-star team that year. And, uh, and you could just see once he believed and once he was just happy with himself, and like I told people, I said, my philosophy, and people have asked me this a bunch of times, you know, with the, the goalie coaching success or whatever I've had, you know, what do you do? Or what's your, you know, your philosophy? And I said, uh, love yourself and, and love the game. And they're like, <laughs> what? Uh, but yeah, that's it, man. Love you know, yourself, I can teach. Love the game. Yeah, love yourself first and, and be okay that if you don't play great or whatever, you're still, life goes on, man, you know. And once Supi got on board with that, and then we worked on his game and he worked hard and we do all the work, but it was, he was having a blast doing it. Win, lose, or draw. He's, he's still having a blast playing hockey and he, and, and he was okay with himself, wherever he was. He was in Ontario. He wasn't getting called up or whatever. It didn't matter. He was having fun. And his game just kept on going like this. And um, it's still going like that right now. Right. So how long ago was he in the East Coast League, year-wise? Um, you know, you'd have to look at the stats. But he was up and down. Like, he would get sent down. He'd get yeah. called back up. He'd be down. And, and uh, yeah, it was not a good time for him. Three years ago? I mean, it's, it's a relatively short well, time, right? Uh. How, well, when was he there? Yeah, yeah. Well, geez, it, it's been a while now because he was, uh, it was three years ago when he was down in Ontario, I think. Right. Well, that's not and, that long ago. And then four years, four years ago, right. maybe. I mean, uh, yeah. to me, that's like that's still crazy. I mean, it seems like a long time, but it's not. You know, to be to be that low 
right? Mentally yeah, and kind of be broken and forget who you are as a goalie and all these other things. And now to be maybe, maybe starting in front of Frederick Anderson uh, at, for the Toronto Maple Leafs is, is, right. is quite a turnaround. Right. Well, for sure. That's another thing I touch on with people is uh, time. Time is, you got to kind of push that aside and just play and have fun in the moment. Because if you put, if you tip that uh, the time thing, the sands of time, if you will, and you're watching that, and you're like, man, I gotta make it, I gotta make it by here, or my career's done, or or whatever, it's just gonna make things worse, man. Yeah. You know, just enjoy the time where you're at and have fun, like with the teammates you have there, and enjoy the game. The results will follow. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a few things are going through my mind there. One being Tim Thomas, who I think first played in the NHL at 31 or something like that, and then ended up having great. you know two Vesna trophies and a and a Stanley Cup and uh, all the success mm-hmm. that he had. And yeah, I mean, the, definitely the timeline is different for everybody, and and enjoying the process makes it that much easier. And I know that's it's a struggle though for guys because you're not necessarily where you want to be. But when you can d- disconnect from that, as you're saying have the ability, the mental wherewithal to be able to enjoy the process of where you're at at that present time and enjoy the teammates. It doesn't become a a prison. It becomes more of an opportunity. Um, Yeah. And Soupy seems to be a guy that, that just his teammates love Uh, is, (laughs) yeah, is, I mean, even in Toronto already, they're saying, and I've heard it, I've heard it before. Is that something that is, is that kind of just him or is that something that, I mean, he's worked on allowing different parts of his personality to just come through and allow him to be that likable or how, how do you, how do you see that, you know, that appeal that he has with his teammates? Right. right. Uh, I love to take credit for that, <laughs> but uh, he's a genuine article, that kid. He's a, he's a good soul. He, he, even when he wasn't playing great or he was high strung or whatever, uh, his heart has always been there and uh he's a he's an un, unbelievable teammate like unbelievable and uh he'll be good i told the when i did the, all those interviews uh right when they did the deal for soupy my uh i was actually i had just flown back to vancouver for three days and that happened when i got off the plane in vancouver and my phone was like blowing up and i i did all these interviews uh about soupy and whatnot and uh i i just said that there was all this stuff on twitter that you know oh he's not the answer and they were looking at stats and blah 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 and i i just wanted to let the toronto fans and media know uh really who they are getting you know, when I said uh, they they had a gem, and uh, I don't know if people thought I was being a little bit uh, biased or what, but I meant what I meant was uh, uh, as a person, as a teammate, it, he's invaluable that way. And uh, I thought, especially in the role right now, I believe Subi can be a starter. Uh, I've said that for a long time now. Um, but I think he'll be great in that other role too. And I don't think he'll rock the boat. You know what I mean? Like he's pushing to, to push Anderson out. He won't do that at all. He'll play when he'll play the best he can when he gets in. And then 
he'll support Anderson Vass right to the, you know, he'll be, every, every guy on, in that locker room, he'll be 100% supportive, uh, even if he's not playing. So that's what I meant by they had a gem. I believe in his ability too, but what I meant was they're really getting an unbelievable asset. I know, and this was a long time ago, what it's like getting traded to Toronto. Uh, and it's, it is a big deal. And there's a big media storm there. And now in this day and age with the social media and everybody has an opinion about something, it's even, I believe it'd be even bigger for the athlete. I heard mm-hmm. you earlier talk about the goalie bubble and, and uh, you know, <laughs> opportunity, opportunity happens and we need to be ready for that opportunity. And how do you feel his, his bubble is right now? And, and if you can even maybe expand on how you would deal with guys with that, so like with that whole realm, like, do you, do you want them mm-hmm. to interact? Do you tell them, like, is there a way to go about and navigate that world right now? Or, or do you insulate yourself? When I mean goalie bubble, I don't mean we're the goalies and we we uh, keep to ourselves and we don't talk and, you know, <laughs> everything is kept outside. I just mean the white noise, you know, the media, the pressures, and you know, just from time to time, coaches, you know, or whatever, you know, you're going to have heat. And that's all I meant, like all the negative stuff. Um I just meant that is what the bubble protects you from and uh, stick together as, and I'm big, big, big on the goalie uh, uh, duo and regardless of who the starter is uh, that they stick together and they, they support each other. And I had a great example. First one we did it with Supi and Peterson. Uh, They split and they were both unbelievable teammates to each other. They battled, and they both had unreal seasons. And uh, Cal made the All-Star team that year. And then the next year, I had Cal and Boods. We brought Boods back. And they were unbelievable together. Um, But I think having that bubble, if you will, it's more of that support of each other and sticking together and and kind of drowning out the white noise, if you will. That's Mm -hmm. what I mean by it. I don't mean segregating yourself. Yeah, no, I understand. It, it's it, what I find interesting about that position is is it is an isolating position, though. Well, just in and of yeah. itself, right? It's it's yeah. a game within a game. Uh, I put the pads on myself. I don't know if I told you this last time or not, but once I got done, I bought goalie gear. I've always been drawn to the to the position, and I ended up getting my own gear, and then explored explored the position through men's league and and whatever. And and it was super compelling to me. Like just you're you're playing a different sport but it's still hockey, you know, like from my experience of trying to score on you guys to now being the guy who's stopping the puck. Uh, And then within even the context of the dressing room, you know, there's two guys that do that. And generally speaking, the head coach is not talking to the goalies about anything. I mean, the practice is done a certain way, right? The lineup's done a certain way. And these guys are left in the room to experience it and, and navigate it essentially on their own. So when you're talking about the, the union, I can totally see how that can benefit because if you don't have that, at least your, your other guy in your corner, you, you'd feel like you're on an Island. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the day it was worse. Like you'd have your goalie partner actually <laughs> trying to sabotage you. If you were like, they didn't want you to play well. And uh, I, I was really, really fortunate though. Uh, growing up uh, with uh, my first major junior team, 
uh, I had a, a really nice uh, uh, guy. He's a 20 year old. And then, uh, and then I built a really good relationship with Oli Kolzig and we're buddies to this day. Then, uh, then I, uh, I got traded to Lethbridge and uh, I was by myself uh, and we, then we traded for Jamie McLennan. And, uh, you know, I was kind of the, the one A, if you will, and he was the next guy, but he played game, a lot of games and played really well. Uh, but we kind of pushed that aside and we became like best buddies and Noodles and I are still really, really close even though we don't see each other. Uh, and we really built that, that those couple of years there in Lethbridge. And that always stuck with me. And it's stuck with me to this day as a coach. Yeah. And it really benefited, benefited uh, us when I was a kid uh, and Jamie, because there's a lot of crap that happens in junior. And it, it just really was important to me to always, uh, to emphasize that to the even as adults uh, to the goalies that are on the teams that I coach that uh, it's really important that you support one another. How can we dig into that just a tiny bit because I think that's an interesting it's an interesting psychological skill to be able to do that because with, with the kids that I'm talking with and working with and I am working with some, some goalies and, and have and I've spoken with them at the youth level a lot of times they're comparing themselves. The comparison isn't to themselves. It's the comparison is to the other goalie on yeah. the team. And they, yeah. and they recognize the fact of whether they did good or bad is if they outperformed the person on their team. And it becomes yeah. this kind of mono a mono scenario, whether they pretend to be friends or they actually are friends. Like that's the first form of comparison. Did I work harder than this guy? Did I do yeah. better than this guy? How do you, how do you talk about what you're talking about, but get somebody to actually believe and buy into the fact that the better teammate you are to your, to your running mate there, the better it's going to be for yourself. Yeah. It's a tough one. Is it to, to kids? Because as you know, having, having kids when they're younger, you can say so many smart things to them. And if they don't want to buy in, they're not going to like, but you just got to try to warm, warm, get them to warm up to you and, and, uh, and, and maybe uh, use examples, if you will, uh, of, of guys that have success like that. Maybe some of these guys up in the NHL or whatever, because they do tend to listen to those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But also um, just say, you know, like, how does it feel when you're the one that's playing bad? And you're all alone, and that goalie's playing well, and uh, you don't have anyone. It doesn't feel very good, does it? It's kind of like the bully thing, mm -hmm. you know, in life in general. Right. You know, if you're more supportive of people when things aren't going well for the other person, you know, life tends to cycle back and, and, uh, and uh, karma, if you will. Yeah. And I really believe that. And... I did it with parenting with the, the kids and, and I try to do that with the, the, the adults as well. But yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. It can be more challenging for, for younger ones yeah. because when they think they're right, they, <laughs> they're right. And let's but, yeah. be honest. I mean, I've seen it at the pro level too. You know, that's, oh, yeah. it, it's a counterintuitive thought process that somebody else who's actually taking my ice time, doing better and me supporting them is going to somehow benefit me. 
Like it's right, really right, hard right. to understand that, but uh, the proof is in the pudding countless times, like you said, I mean, it does yeah. help. Success of the team helps everybody at the end of the day and, and being a good teammate. 100%. Yeah, not only helps you just as, as a goaltender, but it also helps get you recognized as a good guy. Like, you, like we've already talked about Soupy, how his teammates love him. If you're a guy that your teammates love, you have a longer shelf life. If that's what you're worried about too, right? Like from a career standpoint, like being a good teammate is a value, valuable asset. And uh, I don't know. I mean, one, it makes you feel good at night. Two, it extends your career, makes guys like you, you know, like there's, there's so many just intangible benefits to being a good guy. Takes a lot out of you, man. The negativity, you know what I mean? The, if you're playing like, like when I was younger, I'd always played in the highs and lows like you, so when you're hot, you know, you're unreal. And when you're bad, you know, you're, you're really bad because you're, you're just built, you're, you're playing on adrenaline and sometimes also that negative energy. And I remember even in Japan when I was younger, like I used to get a crap load of penalties because I was like so uh, emotional. And I never yelled at our players, but I just, I thought that that made me better. Uh, but as time went on, and even I look back at my 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 playing self, and I just shake my head like <laughs> all that energy was pretty much wasted, you know. Instead of just going out, having fun, enjoying the game, you play your ass off, but just not always so, in, you know, negatively intense. Right. And uh, it take you know sometimes it takes to look back in the in in the past. So that's why I try to use those you know experiences to coach. Right. So with 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 Jack, then you think he's he's ready for this opportunity, showing that he is. You know, his his yeah. process and path to get to where he is now. You think he's on the on the right play? He's ready to rock. Oh, totally. You know, he's still on the journey. You know what I mean? Like, there's going to be ups and downs, right? But and there's going to be some downs because you know being in Toronto is not easy. But I honestly believe he's got the right mindset now, if you will. And, you know, he'll, he'll have, uh, he'll struggle because it's, it's kind of in him to, to feel things. He'll struggle at times, you know, with the, the heat. And, uh, but overall, he, he knows now. He really knows himself. And uh, I believe he's, I believe he's going to handle this really well. I really do. That's great. And a testament to you too, man. I, I assume no one's paying you any money to work with him now. I think that's uh, that's pretty <laughs> wild though, right? You I mean to start off, right? You were you were on the salary for, for the Kings and that's how you developed yeah, that yeah, relationship. Yeah. But now you're not working with them and you're working with another team and you're still continuing to work with somebody that you built that relationship with and, and helping them along. Uh, I, I, I just think that that's something that should be pointed out because not everybody's wired that way. And that's, I think that's showing what you're take what you're talking about is your philosophy is, mm -hmm. you know, you're acting yeah. this out in real life too. So good on you for yeah. doing that. Thanks man. Thanks. Um, I think I might get a Fleming's dinner. <laughs> he always yeah. likes it. He likes to take me to Fleming's. That's his go-to. Hey. We always have a good steak dinner. Oh, good for Soupy. <laughs> it's good that he appreciates it and appreciates you. Uh, I'll do one more question and I, and I, cause I have, I've had some people weigh in, you know, knowing that I was going to talk to you or, or, you know, what's the one question you'd want to ask Dusty that to help with your kid. And, and I can relate to this question because I saw it firsthand in Rick DiPietro. So 
for those of you who, are, who don't know, Rick DiPietro was the first overall draft pick yeah. from, the, from the Islanders, which an heavier, heavier, higher uh, expectation level, if you will. And I, I was his roommate in, in Bridgeport for the Sound Taggers. And, and the goalie coach there at the time was Billy Smith. And, and a Billy, huge contract, too. He didn't have a huge contract at the time, though. Not so, yet? Okay. No, he didn't have it yet. And what, what the issue was, was that Billy, and I mean, and again, this is nothing bad against Billy. I love Billy. He was a great guy with everybody, but he was, or at least Rick felt that he was trying to make him into a different goaltender, right? So right. the goalie that Ricky was drafted as first overall was now kind of being recreated or molded, if you will, to become this other version of himself. And he was really having a hard time with that process and where his identity mm -hmm. was and who he was as a goalie and should he be listening? Yes. Or shouldn't he? And, you know, like that's a big struggle. And that was one of the questions was come up. Like, well, what happens if you do run into somebody that's trying to make you something that you're not in this day and age? Like how, how do you deal with that scenario? What would be your advice? Well, it depends on what kind of level, uh, like for example, if it's just a goalie school guy and the best thing to do is, um, uh, you know, always be respectful. I, you know, I told Jonah, he had other coaches all the time. I never so, uh, you know, specifically coached Jonah on my own, my, my son. Uh, and I said, whoever you have, regardless of whether they, you think they're right or wrong, they're your coach. You got to respect them first and foremost. And, uh, you know, you can ask him to, is it okay to have some dialogue here because I'm a little bit confused. And if, Sometimes you might get the coaches that are like this way or the highway, then maybe that that's not the right guy for you. Um, but then when you hit an actual coach on the team, and I've had, had that again with Jonah, I was like, uh, you know what, same thing. You need to just go out and do, do your job. I said, you can go out and play. Uh, if you feel a certain way is, is you know, that you feel the best, then go out and play it. Um, if he tells you to work these drills a certain way, then you work them, you know, you just do it. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to play, you got to be true to yourself. Uh, you really do. And I'm, it, that's not being disrespectful. As long as you're, you know, you're not being condescending and you're respectful, but you just go out and play the game. I think at the end of the day, if you, if you're getting results, they'll shut up yeah. and they'll, they'll, they'll just let you play. But I, I'm not big on uh, having the whole confrontation and saying, hey, well, my, but my, my goalie coach back home said this and blah, 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 blah. Um, just uh, be the bigger guy and, and uh, put your head down, keep your mouth shut and play. Right. So compete first and foremost. Yeah. And, and try and do with the class and, and listen when you have to. Yeah. You know, you, you, you got to kind of sometimes jump these hurdles, but you, being confrontational and uh, and battling all the time, there's no way to uh, battling with your coaches and and arguing and stuff. There's no way to go about it. Right. Yeah, there is a fine line between humility and curiosity, I think, and growth. Right. Yeah. Because you know we should all be trying to improve, and and we should be able to look at ourselves as you know, this opportunity, right? But then there's also mm -hmm. like where we do need to find like, well maybe this is kind of me and I got to be true to this. Right. Uh, so there's a fine line. There's a balance for sure. And that's where it sounds like it's, you know, it, it's nice to have someone like you to help navigate that because there is a lot of circumstances yeah. in, in the game where, where you have these decisions to make as young men and, and yeah. stuff to do on your own. You know, I can also add 
sometimes you can tell your young guys, the, the kids coming up too, like when I talk about uh, building that relationship, you know, if you can somehow manage, and I had never delved into this realm with younger guys as far as players are concerned, like kids in minor hockey, if you will, going into junior to, to teach that same philosophy in reverse, you know, really try to build that relationship with your coach. You know what I mean? And if he likes you and, and that you're, you're trying to be uh, open and, uh, and trying to build a relationship with him, he might be a little more open to listening to you as well. No, that's a great point. It's a great point. Um, well, I think that's awesome. We got a little over an hour. I know you got to go to bed. You know, at the end of the day, you said love yourself, love what you do. It definitely seems like you're loving what you do, Dusty. And uh, and I know I love the space that I'm in here helping these guys too. It's kind of, uh, it's just a place that makes you smile. And, and it's such an interesting it's such an interesting realm because every day is different and, and the science even behind it is, is emerging. And it's, it's such a new frontier that mm -hmm. I think is, uh, is something that it's cool to be on the, on the front edge of that, you know, helping these, these athletes really align their, their thoughts and their mindset with, with the results and the performance that they want. So thanks again for sharing all that stuff with us. Thanks for being so open with, uh, with what uh, Soupy's journey there and your help with him. And, and my goodness, I hope you get to come home, get to go home one of these days, Dusty. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know if we're going to make the playoffs, so we'll see. And if I don't, then uh, I'll be making a straight shot <laughs> back home. But, uh, yeah, there's actually Toronto's in L.A., uh, not, not too far away. So if I'm home, I'll definitely fly down for that. Cool, cool. Not to put you on the spot, and you can pass if you want. But any parting words for the young goalies out there? Any, any sort of, if you could give them one tip to how to make the most out of what it is they want to do, is, is is there one thing you'd go with? I mean, I know you said love yourself, love what you do. Is there anything else beyond that? The base is exactly that, but maybe something more fun to stick with. You know, have fun making big saves. It's not a crime to make big saves. Enjoy that. You know, the big glove save is cool. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him I said so. Well, that's good. I'm a big fan of the glove save too. Not a fan of the knob <laughs> save out there for all you goalies. Hated the knob <laughs> save. Um, but I did appreciate a good glove save. I felt like he beat me. Like Not that uh, he got lucky with the knob. <laughs> right on. Uh, anyways, well, thanks again, bud. A great interview. Great talking with you. And uh, really appreciate you doing this for the second time. No problem, man. Thanks, boss. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. What a fantastic opportunity to talk with one of the most sought after goalie coaches in the game today, Dusty Emu. Uh, his, his personality really shone through, I thought, in the interview. I, th I thought Dusty has this calming energy about him. He seems really relaxed, really comfortable in his own skin. And people like that are just easy to be around and, and are easy to share things with. And I think that the, the clients that he's had and, and, and the people that have had great success with him uh, obviously resonate with that energy. I mean, think about the goalie position. This is a high pressure, highly results oriented, very vulnerable position. And you can get really wrapped up in, in, in the results and in where you want to be and, and, and dwell on the negative. And when you have somebody that has a calming energy and a calming approach and a, and a real person-first mentality, I can, I can really understand why these guys uh, do so well with Dusty in their corner. So I really like that interview. I love that we share the same philosophies. I love that we like 
getting the most out of people and, and building the relationship first aspect. So uh, thank you so much for Dusty for doing that again. Thank you for you guys for listening today. And if you want to promote the podcast, if you want to do me any favors, that would be the one thing I would ask is that, you know what, just share it, talk about it, give it a review and continue to download it. That's the one way to grow this thing and one, one way to get this into more people's uh, iPads and, and listening devices. So once again, thanks so much. And until next week, make it a great week and continue to play hard. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again. Cheers.